0: You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 89, Community Engagement, Part 1. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, I'm so glad to be back with you. And today, we are going to shift gears just a little bit because in some of our past episodes, we've had some guests. But today, we're going to really look at uh, getting back to some of the basics of ending human trafficking And I shouldn't say basics, but more fundamentals that we consistently talk about, but to really go into some depth today, because I know that that will be of real value to people in our listening community.
1: Okay. And I think it's going to take a couple of weeks to do this, a couple of podcasts. So I've um, organized this into part one, collaboration, and part two, action. So this first section, we're going to look at what it takes to do community engagement in a collaborative model. And we're going to base this on our Global Center for Women in Justice mantra, which is study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference. So when you look at study the issues, we need to understand what human trafficking is before we sit down at the table with people that we're going to collaborate with. And often people know what human trafficking is, but they may not actually speak the same language and have the same understanding of specific principles. And uh, from an organizational leadership perspective, that could be chaos, right?
0: Well, that is... Is, is one thing that I've really come to appreciate, Sandy, as we've done this show over the years, is how not everyone looks at this through the same lens or even thinks of things with the same language or vocabulary. And I love the quote that the greatest enemy of communication is the illusion of it.
1: <laughs>
0: and so if we assume that we're all saying the same thing just because we say something like human trafficking or collaboration that uh, sometimes that assumption can get us into hot water in the long run if we don't really have that, that dialogue upfront about what it is we're talking about.
1: So that's why the first thing I want to do is frame this so that we have a common language, um, an appreciation for working within a legal framework, and the ability to identify our own role and appreciate and respect the roles of others on the community team.
0: Fabulous. Well, I am excited to hear what uh, what what you uh, what you think is the best place for us to start there. Well, I was
1: I was in um, New Hampshire doing a community engagement training for a, a wide variety of community participants in their battle to end human trafficking, and there were law enforcement people, healthcare people, community NGO leaders and coalition partners, attorneys. It was a great example of the wide variety of people who are willing to sit down at the table and work together if they can figure out how to build that communication structure and strengthen their understanding of the perspective. I guess I'm saying um, more than just understand somebody else's role, but actually indicate and build appreciation and value
0: for somebody else's role. Mm. So exciting that there's so many people who are engaged in wanting to help. So now our our next step is to really uh, help everyone to work together, to understand the language and, the, and, and, and a collaborative effort.
1: This is so important. Um, as we are coming to the end of the year and we begin to look forward to all of the um, National Human Trafficking Prevention Month activities. I look back and remember when it was called prevent. It was called Human Trafficking Awareness Day. Then it was Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and now it's Human Trafficking Prevention Month. So, how are we going to start doing engagement that does prevention? When we hosted um, a summit focused on commercial sexual exploitation of children. The professionals, now these weren't the community people, these were the professionals, the judges, the probation officers, child welfare um, department leaders, and they identified community engagement as the third most important target to improve the opportunity to um, intervene and protect and rescue victims of sex trafficking. Mm. So it's super important. So let's kind of look at, Where would we begin with studying the issues? And for me, it seems that it's really important for everybody that's at the table to be able to identify the elements of human trafficking. And sometimes in general conversation, people have misunderstandings that are pretty much based on what they've seen on TV, um, in the movie theaters, and so it has an element of of being rooted in what is actually happening, but then the actual details um, are not at all congruent with where the legal understandings are. So you can go back to a previous podcast and we'll find that and put that in the show notes for you, or you can just um, click on the links here because we're going to put up the action, means, and purpose chart for you that we've talked about, and and just understanding there are three columns that contain the elements that prove a case of human trafficking. And under the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, there are two severe forms of human trafficking, commercial sex acts or labor or services. And so you have the action, recruit, harbor, transport, provide, or obtain The second column, you have a means force force is something causing serious harm or physical restraint, fraud, you know, offering someone a job that doesn't really exist, luring them to come to a place where there is no job coercion threats of serious harm, physical restraint against another person. And if you don't do what we ask, then they'll be harmed. And, um, any kind of scheme or plan or pattern that manipulates someone for the purpose of commercial sex or forced labor or services. So that action means purpose model gives us the elements of the of the crime of human trafficking. Now, I've had documents that explain all of the elements that are like 50 pages long. You don't need to know that to sit down at the table with the local um law enforcement leaders of your, of your human trafficking task force, but you do need to understand the basics of force, fraud, and coercion.
0: And Sandy, do you need to have all three of these elements or is two enough just so we all understand the process of how we look at this?
1: You have to have one action. One means and one purpose.
0: So something out of each three of those sections needs to be identified.
1: And often there are multiple things out of each one. Yeah, I, I see think that it's looking at really important to know in the action that um, it's much more than just transportation. There's kind of a common myth that this happens across borders. It can happen on the same street
0: and on the same block. And, and I know that it's one thing for us to say it, uh, and it's another thing to be able to look at it and have it be tangible. So if you're listening and you missed any of those pieces, we're going to have this posted up on the show notes for the episode. So you can always reach that at gcwj.vanguard.edu. And this, of course, is an episode 89. So this, all of the things that Sandy's mentioning here will be posted up there so you can get easy access to. So don't worry about not being available. And uh, and. That's gonna be. Uh, it will be a good. This page is very simple, Sandy. As far as being able to just get it down to the fundamental things to look at.
1: Exactly, and and you don't have to be an expert on someone else's role. You just need to understand the significance of their role and reinforce um, the value to the whole team, so that there's not separate agendas at the table. So when you're when you're looking. Then you've looked at the law, you understand that labor what labor trafficking is. And, and you begin to study this a little bit more. starting in 2008, we were required to produce, we, our government, the U.S. Department of Labor, a list of goods produced by child labor or forced labor. And those reports come out every fall, and now there are four years of reports available five years, and we find out what products are made with slave labor that end up on our shelves in the U.S. So it helps us begin to look at the bigger picture of, of human trafficking in the United States and the global impact. And if we're really going to end human trafficking, it's not going to end in in one place Um, exclusively, and the rest of the world still has it, we have to all work together. Labor trafficking. And so look at the list of goods produced by child labor or forced labor. Sex trafficking. If the victim is under the age of 18, we do not have to prove the middle column, the elements of force, fraud, or coercion. Consequently, we just need to identify that a minor was recruited or obtained or provided for the purpose of commercial sex, and there are the elements of a sex trafficking case. That's simple.
0: So that key piece is if a person's a minor, that that part doesn't need that... uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That that standard doesn't necessarily need to be met, right? So, right, yeah.
1: okay. it's a much lower standard. Now, the interesting thing and the questions I often get: Well, what if a child is being um, sexually abused? Um, can I call the eight 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 thirty seven thirty seven eight 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 number? And um, we have had laws for for a very long time for sexual abuse, and you call your child welfare department you called your Child Protective Services, and you call your local law enforcement. But commercial sexual exploitation involves a profit. It's for business. Someone is making money by selling um, a minor or an adult, either either way. So the idea of human trafficking being a catch-all for everything, we have to kind of move away from that, and we need to focus on what this really is that's why you often hear me talk about the language um, at issue so that we use the term commercial sexual exploitation because it identifies the process and terminology that is um, fuzzy and people there is loaded with people's preconceived ideas or things that are like prostituted, prostitution, sex worker. Those are not best practice terminologies. Let's stick with the terminology in in the law. And then we're all on the same
0: page. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I have heard you so many times use the word commercial in commercial sexual exploitation. And I never really thought about it until you just said that of why that word's there and the distinction between that. And like you said, some of the laws that you know the situations that are just as unfortunate but are different as far as how it falls under the law and who what agency and things like that that you would contact and and would handle situations like that so it's um thanks for making that distinction
1: well and you know why that's so important if we sit down at the table with 30 people and we all want to work towards the same goal of ending human trafficking but there are different factions that have different Viewpoints on things like prostitution. And I don't wanna have those arguments and because it drains the energy and the capacity of the whole, the whole coalition. Mm. So for me, as long as we stick to the terminology in the law, commercial sex acts, then we're fine. And we don't have to talk about different um, ideologies. We just focus on the issues and the way that we have common language. And one of the ways to learn the language, there are several resources that I'd like to point you to because just listening and looking at this chart is is just the beginning. The Blue Campaign for the Department of Homeland Security has an amazing human trafficking awareness training. It'll take you between about 20 to 30 minutes. It is a programmed online course, hmm. and it has... Um, slides for each little unit. And there's video pieces. An example of this would be a case study for, um, for instance, the first one is Gwendolyn B. And it says her gender, female, age 72. She paid an intermediary to bring three teenagers from Indonesia to work as servants following the tsunami. Now, that her whole case study then becomes a way for you to begin to understand labor trafficking. The, there's even a little quiz to make sure that you've um, mastered the content. And then there's glossary and resources. Great way to learn the language the next time you go to a coalition meeting or a task force meeting. It will improve your ability to figure out what's happening in the room when the professionals are giving their reports, and it'll also make your input more valuable to them as you understand how to express what you've seen and what your organization is able to contribute to resources for victims, if that's your area.
0: And anyone can go online and get access to this for free? Did Absolutely. I understand that correctly? Okay, it's great. It's all free. Yeah, it looks really it looks really cool, uh, and the graphics look well, well put together and thought through on this.
1: It's better than a video game. Hmm. Well, that's me, but um, the second place where you can also learn the language and the process is Rescue Restore at Health and Human Services. And we've talked about them many, many times because they're the ones who produce the posters that we take out that have the 888-3737-888 number. They also have toolkits that will help you um, from a profession-specific perspective, so they have a toolkit for healthcare professionals, and they have a toolkit for um, for law enforcement and for social workers. So go on there, and and then you can be more specific about what you're studying in learning the language and the process. And I'm going to keep saying that: learn the language and the process if you want to be part of of the you have to speak the same language. You have to study a glossary so you, you understand the terms. And you know, I'm a registered nurse. I studied medical terminology and had to pass a huge exam just to go on to my next my next course. And I'm sure in any profession, there are some terms that are unique to your uh, area of expertise. And to fight human trafficking, we need to all be speaking the same language.
0: Yeah, and and I would add to know what those mean, too, Sandy. You know, I think it was uh, Socrates who said, the beginning of wisdom is the definition of terms. So knowing where you're starting from as a beginning point then allows you to have informed, well-informed, correct dialogue with the other parties so that you're all using the same language and same understanding to communicate together.
1: That is a great quote. We have to put that in the show notes.
0: Socrates was a smart dude.
1: yeah. And, and it's, it's just so important to know how we, make sure we don't have misconceptions about what we think. Um, another place to go for improving your um, understanding of the language of human trafficking is the Global Trafficking in Persons Report. And that's at the Office to Monitor and Combat Human Trafficking in our U.S. State Department. And this is particularly important if you're going to be working in a global capacity or if you're going to be working with foreign victims here in the U.S. We, um, we see in the TIP report, the Trafficking in Persons report, since 2000, that the frame for evaluating progress has been prevention, protection, and prosecution, the three P's. And so when we want to frame a project that we want partners to join us with, it's very wise to use those three P's to explain what you're going to do. If you are serving, um, uh, you're an NGO leader in another country, and you're wondering, how do I I get what we're doing into that report? um, Framing it and sending it in to the GTIP office in or your local embassy that helps put that report together and framing it so it's already clear, clear where it fits as far as prevention, protection, or prosecution will put you further ahead in in being recognized because you understand the language and the process.
0: Hmm. Very good. So, so that's a good resource again if you're working with people coming from international locations or if you are working in a global capacity.
1: Exactly, okay. exactly. Got it, got it. An- another resource um, that and,
0: serves... And sorry, Sandy, could I interrupt you for a second? And the, the Rescue Restore, the one we just talked about previously, mm-hmm. what is it that's at that site? What would people go to that they can get access to? Is there documents there? Is there a training as well? I, I, I missed that piece.
1: Oh, okay. There's, there's um, toolkits that have documents and PowerPoints that um, go through the materials of that cover specifics for unique populations of professionals like social workers you did say that. me yeah, for no that's yeah. okay
0: okay good well that's good a uh, good reminder for all of us and everybody
1: and and then the other thing too i so i'm glad you took us back there you can order resources um, the posters dvds little tag cards um, with questions to ask those kinds of things in multiple languages. Those mm. are available at the Rescue Restore. And website. is that
0: is that online, or is that also through the hotline, or you can do that's, either?
1: No, that's only through um, the Rescue
0: Restore website. Just online. Okay, mm-hmm. great, perfect. Yeah, and of course, again, we'll have all the links for this on the show notes too.
1: Exactly. This will be a rich show note.
0: Yes, poor Alexis, mm-hmm. who's listening to this and recording all of the things we're we're talking That's about. Thank right. you, Alexis. Yeah,
1: we have, we love Alexis's birthday was this last week, so we had celebrate Alexis Day. Okay, moving on then to learning the language and the process. A great deal of resources are available through um, community faith based groups, and it, Fast International has a wonderful resource for um, Christian alliances and Christian organizations that want to partner and demonstrate their competencies. So they have training materials for aftercare. Um, they have outreach opportunities that are consistent with their values and that are aligned with government requirements. So it's a great way to build your, your competency and capacity um, in in your church leadership for church work uh, churches have been a great resource to providing for human trafficking victims right here in the US and globally so it's important for them to ha- make those connections between their community and between the things we've already talked about from a legal framework mm. um, the, the other part of the The language that's a little less formal is understanding business language because we have already identified that human trafficking is a business model. It's about, it's just like the trafficking in weapons or trafficking in drugs. Trafficking in human beings is not legal internationally or nationally. So How do we begin to have this conversation about addressing the business side and reducing demand? We have to keep the kind of language that you're an expert at in mind and begin to just learn the basics of what is um, the law of supply and demand. So Dave, tell us, what is the law of supply and demand?
0: Oh, that there's an equilibrium point. So, and I'm not going to do, I'm not an economist, so I'm not going to do this justice. But, but, you know, there's, if you have more demand than there is supply, you know, a couple of things will happen. Either the price will go up or eventually the market will respond to have more supply out there. And so one of the reasons this becomes so relevant with trafficking in all its forms is that the reality is that sometimes we gloss over or we don't like to think about very much is that there is a demand for it. And that's why it's being supplied. It's being supplied illegally, but the supply is there in order to meet a demand from people in our country, in our hometown, in our neighborhood, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. so that that is a reality that, while very uncomfortable to think about, is absolutely true. And if we don't understand that and we don't work to also, and we've talked about this before on the show, to prevent by reducing demand, that what we do to rescue victims ultimately will never in and of itself resolve the challenge that we have with trafficking. It will only push the problem to other places and it will only force traffickers to use other methods and to reach people through new ways, but that ultimately we have to have the conversation about demand too. And so that's why it's so, so critical for us to think about it as a business and as an economic problem. And, and I hate to use the word business, but it that's how the traffickers look at it. So we have to look at it through that lens in order to understand how we can, how we can address it in such a way where the economic incentives for them are not there anymore.
1: Well, and as I've been doing some more research on um, the law of supply and demand, and the fact that it is an economic basis that drives human trafficking, even terms like exploitation are rooted in economic fundamentals. Um, And when we look more deeply at this here in California, we are very, very glad that we have a little bit more resource to address this than than um, many other places because we have the California Supply Chain Transparency Act. And reducing demand is going to require reducing demand for slave-made products. We have um, a growing momentum on reducing demand for commercial sexual exploitation of women and children and men, but we haven't seen the same kind of momentum for reducing demand for products that you and I buy that um, a child or a parent, a, a widow, may have been forced to work on without improving their circumstances. They didn't get paid. So, understanding the role of of the Supply Chain Transparency Act is part of
0: ending demand. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, Sandy, because and that that speaks to the importance of collaboration across. Agencies and jurisdictions and even countries, because if one jurisdiction, say California, who's been a leader in this in a lot of ways, um, passes all these laws and and really does reduce demand here, uh, if that's not worked on in collaboration with other agencies and other jurisdictions people will just go somewhere else, you know, Oregon will become more, you know, or Nevada and, you know, all the other places. So, so really that, that just speaks so importantly to the collaboration you're talking about here of us all working together to really look at the bigger picture and the broader picture.
1: And that we need to invite business leaders into this
0: conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So the third area we talked about, um, we talked about language and laws and now I want to talk a little bit about roles. And I'll, I'll put a link to the podcast where we described the three Ps and the fourth P. So the three Ps of prevention, protection, and prosecution, figuring out where you're going to fit in that, um, is developing a partnership. And we identified partnership as um, recognizing your expertise and your resources in the context of whatever the need is. But the partnership model requires some basic attention to assure a smooth collaboration. First of all, you all need to have clear roles. And And I know if you're listening to your, it's like that's rudimentary, we already know that. But the best way to have clear roles is not to assume that everybody knows that this is clear. Mm. Write them down. Yeah. Written, clarified, clear roles. And then in a healthy partnership model, you're going to identify protocols. It is um, the the most chaos I remember learning when I was in junior high basketball. If you don't play your position, the whole team loses. And so having clear roles and, and clear protocols creates the opportunity for a team to make significant progress. Play your position. And sometimes because we have big organizations, just writing it down is not necessarily enough because you have so many people in your organization that also need to understand. So creating a memorandum of understanding is a next step to strengthen our commitment to those roles and
0: protocols. And businesses do this all the time. So this is very much in line with how the business world approaches things anyway of documenting, of having clear language. And so we're we're reaching the people that can help most and the organizations that can help most and using the language that they already use. And for the ending human trafficking movement, it is critical
1: that we are all willing to sit at the table and work and strategize together. There is an amazing picture on... um, on the State Department website and we'll put a link to it that shows all of the organizations in our government that are part of the Strategic Action Plan to End Human Trafficking. And they, they the, the, I really wish I could describe this to you, but it is so comprehensive. And there are resources at every level of our government. And we need to learn how to partner with them And collaborate, understand their language, because they follow um, guidelines and protocols. And as much as they might like to work with you, if you don't fit into their requirements, they just don't have uh, the freedom to break those protocols, and they can't do that. We wanna be partners, we wanna speak the same language respect um, the laws and the roles so that we can all together build the momentum to end human trafficking.
0: You know, Sandy, you mentioned language. And one of the things when we, from a business context, whenever we're working as a training organization, one of the first things we'll do is often ask an organization for their list of competencies for leaders or for managers in their organization. And every organization uses a slightly different list and has a slightly different vocabulary, but the list is always very similar. But one of the things we do at the very start of the relationship is we figure out how do we align the language we're using Mm -hmm. between organizations so that we ultimately create a solution for them that is going to match what their people and their culture already understand. And that's exactly what you're talking about here is us getting together and collaborating and understanding the language so that we can then move forward together in partnership in a way that's going to make the most sense to everybody and ultimately be the best possible outcome for everyone involved who who all care about this issue and want to support it.
1: And for me, if I'm going to be on somebody's team, I want to be contributing what I do well at. I don't want to be assigned something just because somebody needs to do this if I'm not good at it. So partnership that's built on resources and expertise, uh, sign me up for that because I can be successful.
0: Well, speaking of being successful, I don't think we're going to be entirely successful on hitting every single thing just in this one episode. So we are going to have a part two to this coming up in the next episode in two weeks. Am I correct on that? That's
1: right. That's right.
0: Okay. Perfect. Perfect.
1: We're going to move from um, um, collaboration models to actually um, doing something. How are we going to take action?
0: Fabulous. Well, in the meantime, we would really suggest uh, having you get started by going to the website, downloading some of the things that we spoke about here today, and checking out the links to all these resources. And the best way to do that is to go to our website, which is for the Global Center for Women and Justice uh, here at Vanguard University. And that website is gcwj.vanguard.edu. Again, gcwj.vanguard.edu for the Global Center for Women and Justice. You can also always reach us by phone, 714-966-6360. And by the way, while you're online on our website, there's a spot there to join our uh, email updates. So check that out and jump on. If you haven't already, you'll get regular updates on what we're up to, resources available. And where Sandy is traveling across the world. You're leaving for England tomorrow. I yeah, can't believe it right. when we're recording this. So um, Sandy's always up to great things to support this movement. And we're so thrilled that you took time to invest with us today. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Take Thanks care. Thanks
1: for listening. Bye. Bye.